Good morning. How are you? Good. Winter or not, we're here, right? Wonderful. Well, I have a great uh, announcement that is a great example of the Inside Out Church, um, of our, which is our theme for the year, and it, which is to uh, do good, love each other, and, and reveal Jesus, which ultimately is reaching people. And today, this announcement has to do with Pastor Joe. Pastor Joe is started, has started the process of planting a church, working with City Reach, here in Brassard. Yeah. God has really placed a burden on his heart for the city of, of Brassard. And this church plant is planned uh, for the third weekend in September. Now, it's amazing how God works when he's in something. I'm just going to share a few details with you this morning that you'll see how God is connecting things together. And then Pastor Joe will share a little more at the end of his message. First of all, you know, back in October, there was a conference here. We had just moved into our facility. There was a conference on church planting that was nationwide, and Pastor Joe was attending. You know, it was here in Montreal. Didn't have to go anywhere, right here. Um, the District of Quebec has approved this, and they're very excited about it. The PAOC, as maybe you may not know, has a, an initiative called 2020 Initiative, where by the year to 2020, they would like to plant many, many churches. And they've partnered with, uh, with about two, three organizations, and City Reach is actually their big, biggest partner. Pastor Patty, who is on the Church Multiplication Network through General Executive. So she could be pastoring in Hamilton still, but she's here with us in Montreal. Again, another connection. She has also got to meet the, the head of City Reach, Brent Bolt. Now, City Reach, it's actually a church planting organization. They give financial support to planters. They offer really help from A to Z, from beginning to the middle to all the way through. They journey with the planters and even after the church plant. They also provide administrative support as well, which is great. What's nice about all that is Pastor Joe's not alone. And actually, this very morning, his coach is here with us, which I'll introduce shortly. So what's neat about City Reach is this year they are planting at least three churches, one in the Maritimes, and then the very first one is here in Quebec. And it's all in September, same weekend. Now, I'm sure you have a few questions, and I'll just answer a couple for you this morning. First of all, what it means for Pastor Joe, that this is a transitional period. So he's not leaving tomorrow. It's a transitional period. The other thing is the end date. It's to be determined. And be assured that we will keep you informed. Now, you may ask, how is Evangel supporting? Well, there's two specific ways. One is we're looking to offer the opportunity to give to this work $15,000. So you may want to give. Uh, which what we would ask is that you de designate it to City Reach Brassard. And what we'd also ask, I'll be bold here as a lead member, is that this will be beyond the tithes, and tithes that you give to the church, but if you feel God is leading you to give, you're welcome to do so. Secondly is we are wanting to give or release at least 10 families that would be willing and feel the call to join Pastor Joe in this new work. And there's actually going to be a clipboard at the end at the info desk if you want to give your name and number, and Pastor Joe would be in touch with you. So basically, in closing, I just want to say that we believe that God is in this. We do believe that Pastor Joe is obedient to this call. And as Evangel, we're in it. It's exciting because we're supporting, we're praying, and we're also blessing. And then lastly, uh, City Reach is involved, so Pastor Joe's not alone. So in... Help me welcome uh, Collins Brent, Brent Collins, who's here from Vermont, uh, who is the coach of Pastor Joe. Fantastic. Man, I don't know if you guys understand how big this is. Um, it might sound just kind of like a, a, a detail in, in, in a list of announcements, but this means that there's a church. Can you hear me okay? It, that, this means that Evangel is a church who is stepping out 
And, and rather than sort of laying down and, and, and dying, so to speak, is saying, let's do what God intentioned us to do from the very beginning. I don't know if you know this, but, but all around North America this morning, people will trickle in to the four walls of churches that are very comfortable, very well-meaning, very attractive. Honestly, in many cases, though, they feel like they're churches that have sort of drifted off into some sort of a nice Christian coma. And that's not okay. Because here's the thing. Churches not, were not intended to be comfortable. They weren't intended to be uh, docked at harbor. I think of the church as, as uh, a boat. It's a ship that was built to go out to high sea and to look for people to rescue. We're on a rescue mission as the church. And so often, instead, churches stay docked at harbor. And they sort of atrophy, right? And sometimes they forget the purpose for which they were made. But we're here to celebrate this morning because Evangel has done quite the opposite. You've seen this opportunity, you've heard from God, and you said we're going to be a part of this. This church has done incredible things for the Lord in the past. This is not the first time that a, a new church has launched out from it. But right now, at this critical moment of 100 years in, you're being intentional, and you're being missional, and you're saying this is what God has for us. And instead of sitting comfortably in the harbor, you've looked out to the horizon, you've said, Jesus... What is it that you've intentioned this church to do? Not just this church, but every church. We as believers, what were we built to do? And then hearing from him, you've stepped out and you've acted on it. The mission of my organization, my network, City Reach uh, Network, is very simple. We do things as simply as possible. And here it is. We believe in reaching the one who is far from God. Maybe you've heard the parable of, of, of the lost sheep, and, and Jesus tells it about, you know, the, the shepherd going out and looking. He leaves all the others. He leaves 99 sheep behind, and he goes looking for that one. Well, that is at the core of who we are as a network and as a church planting organization, is being willing to go after that one person who doesn't know Jesus, the one who's far from the Lord, and bringing him into right relationship with God, walking through discipleship with him. In other words, back to the comparison with boats, we're a boat that is perpetually out at sea. We never harbor. And we're combing the, the, the deep waters looking for anyone who is in need of rescue. Now this church, 25 years ago, reached down. I don't know exactly how it went, but there was a young guy named Joe who was in that very position. By his own admission, far from God, and, and the truth is you don't have to be dealing crack cocaine or anything else to be far from God. This is an interior thing, and, and Joe was far from God, and this church reached down. They reached out to him. They loved him. They invested him. They discipled him. They gave him opportunity here. They grew him, and now what started as, a, as an infant believer is a big man of faith, and this church is saying, Joe, we're behind you. This leadership team is saying, Joe, we're behind you. And we're going to send you out to accomplish this kingdom mission of rescue. And you know what? It doesn't matter how good things get here on a Sunday morning or anywhere else. It doesn't matter how great Pastor Patty preaches. I've got to come back sometime when you preach, by the way. Uh, the music can be fantastic. The, the presentations can be dead on. The building can be phenomenal. And nothing compares to that one rescue mission. Because that's the DNA of the kingdom of God. That's the DNA of the kingdom of God. On behalf of City Reach Network, I, I speak for all of us when I say this. Man, we are so excited to be standing shoulder to shoulder with you as a church to reach into the pockets to the other communities in Quebec and eventually all into Canada for the sake of the kingdom of God. We're not just asking you to invest in City Reach or into Joe Friedland and, and, and Janet. Rather, we're saying, will you be a church on mission? And you guys have stepped forward in such a big way. Uh, Pastor Patty, uh, members of the board, man, I cannot express our appreciation. Uh, it, it's just, uh, there's no way possible. Now, let me tell you this. This is not going to be easy, not for Joe, not for Janet, not for Sarah. I got it. It's not going to be easy for this church either. Because stepping out and endeavoring and, and, and all of this, this is, this is painful stuff at times. This is sacrificial. 
We talked about giving $15,000. Man, that's the least of it. This is serious sacrifice. And at the same time, I want to tell you, as someone who stepped out over and over when things weren't clear on the other side, that the more you step out, the more you trust God, and you just act on what he says, he will repay you multiple times. Maybe not always in the same way. Maybe not in the way you expected, but far beyond what you could possibly expect. So my prayer for this church is this, that the Lord would continually increase your vision, that he would continually increase your reach. And as you give, as you go, as you pray, that the Lord would refill your coffers tenfold. We love you. I look forward to being back with you again and hearing Pastor Patty preach. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Brent, or as I like to call him, Coach Brent, uh, who, if you, you don't know him, but is a missionary who planted a church in Essex County, Vermont, Essex County, right? And uh, quite an area there to, to reach people. He had said in the first service, his church could fit on our platform. So <laughs> great to uh, a, a new friend and a new support. Before I go any further, I have an announcement that has nothing to do with me. Uh, on the Valentine's Day, there was an individual in our congregation who experienced a massive uh, uh, life change in that there was a fire in her building. Uh, 30 people in the building lost their homes. She had to jump out of her window with the black smoke, and she took nothing uh, but her cell phone, and everything was lost. This is a picture of what's left of her apartment and uh, she attends this church, and her friend, Kayi, is standing there uh, in the photo taken by the Journal de Montréal. It took 100 firefighters to put the thing out on Valentine's Day. So both uh, uh, Jouffe is her name who lost her home, and Kayi are here this morning somewhere. Can they stand? There you are in the front. Okay. It's okay. They're, they're people. You can... <laughs> so... So Kai, Kai, real inside-out example. Kai has has really helped out and stepped up to the plate to help uh, Jufe and is helping to furnish a new apartment for her and working really, really hard on her behalf. And she contacted me and said, "Hey, can we have just a place in the church somewhere where we can collect small items so that I can pick them up?" And I said, "Well, in a heartbeat, you can. This is an inside-out church. So if you have things that you want to give." to this lady who lost everything but her cell phone uh, and help her put her life together, so to speak. Just small things is what she needs right now, like toasters and whatnot. You can visit with them. They'll be over at Get Connected, which is a hot spot today, on the right side as you exit this main room, and uh, they'll be there, and they'll explain all the details. You can bring it into the office right up until next Sunday, and then uh, is going to take it all in her SUV and bring it over to Jouffe's uh, home. So this Inside Out announcement has been brought to you by Eva. So, I'm going to talk to you today about fig tree faith, fig tree faith, uh, from a bizarre passage in uh, Mark chapter 11 in the Bible's New Testament. Uh, If you're brand new to the Bible and you've got one, you see if you can find your way to the New Testament, and you've got Matthew, and then you've got Mark, okay? Action-packed, really easy to read. Chapter 11 is where we'll pick up uh, the action And uh, if you don't have a Bible at all, but you've got a phone, then I can get you a Bible for free. If you will point your browser to Uversion, Y-O-U version, uh, Google it or whatever, and you can download that app even as I speak uh, so that you can get the Bible for free in pretty well any language that you speak. Uh, It's a great, great app that's free, put out by a church in the U.S., okay? So Mark chapter 11 and verse 20, fig tree faith, as they passed by in the morning, the they is Jesus and the 12 apostles, they saw the fig tree, and we'll find out about it in a minute, withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. 
And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Strange and bizarre passage. And to try and figure out what's going on here, we have to go back and revisit the fig tree. And if you remember, if you were here about a month ago or so, Pastor Patty preached uh, on this passage uh, about the cursing of that fig tree. And this happened a few verses prior in verses 12 to 14, where it explains it. On the following day, and this was the day after Jesus had entered into Jerusalem and he had all the palm branches were out and they were shouting, Hosanna, a God saves to the highest and thinking this man is the king, this man is the Messiah who will overthrow uh, the Roman Empire. And on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, Jesus. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, He went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, strangest words, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So Jesus, again, had entered in with into Jerusalem for the first time with with great, uh, uh, great uh, excitement. Uh, it would be the last time, actually, that he would go there. He would end up facing his, his crucifixion and all these things. And this was the beginning of that whole process. And they kind of had this idea that he was this king who was going to conquer and overthrow. And that really wasn't what he was all about. But he goes in there and he spends some time, Mark tells us, a brief amount of time in the temple itself. And then he leaves it. Because it's evening, and then he spends the night over in Bethany, which is about a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem. You with me so far? So this happens, and then uh, the morning after is when the cursing of this tree takes place. And so Jesus gets up in the morning. They're going to head back into Jerusalem. That day, he's going to turn the the tables over in the outer courts of the, the, the court of the Gentiles, as it was called, where they were exchanging currency. And Jesus is going to, for lack of better words, get angry there. But before he goes there, he apparently is hungry in the morning on the journey from Bethany to Jerusalem. Strange that he didn't eat in the morning. It's almost deliberate. And so he looks for a fig tree and wants to see if there's anything on it that he can eat. He doesn't see anything on it, and he curses it. And then he heads into Jerusalem, goes into the temple, and causes this ruckus in the temple. Now, when we read the whole thing, we scratch our heads and we say, well, is Jesus throwing a little bit of a temper tantrum? I mean, is he like a little petulant child? He didn't have his, uh, you know, his breakfast and his Tim Hortons, and so he gets upset at this fig tree. And so, you know, he's Jesus, so he can do what he wants, and so he curses the tree, and then he's still angry, so he goes into the temple, loses his temper, and throws over the money changers, and then he leaves. I mean, this is what it looks like on the surface, but this is not at all what's going on in the story. When Jesus acted, he knew exactly what he was doing when he cursed that tree and when he went into that temple. If you're a 21st century person like you and me, you scratch your head, you say, it makes no sense. But if you're a first century Jew, your eyes are open really wide because you see, oh, wow, what is this man doing? The national symbol for Israel was a fig tree. Jerusalem was the capital of of Israel. Jesus, when he had gone into Jerusalem there and spent a brief time looking at that temple, he already knew what he was going to do the morning after. And this whole thing with the fig tree and the cursing of it is an illustration of what's going to happen to Jerusalem. When Jesus walked up to that tree, this is what he would have walked up to. This is a fig tree that's in pretty well in full bloom, I would think, and you see all those leaves on it. Well, do you see any fruit on the tree? Yes or no? How many say yes? How many say no? Okay, you're listening. You can't see any fruit on it. Okay, I don't care if you have bionic eyes. 
You can't see the fruit on it, so you have to go up to the fig tree, and you've got to see what's on there, if we can eat any of it. And so what Jesus is looking for, fig trees are kind of strange in that land, and just in particular, back then, at that time, if you went around the end of March, which is the time in question in the scripture, by our time anyway, you would go and you would look to see if you had what's next on the screen, these little knobs that you see next to the leaves. So that's a fig tree in leaf, and you see it's got a little knob on it, which is like the first fruit of what is going to come later. And this is what Jesus wanted to see. Some trees would have it, some trees wouldn't have it, but this is what he's looking for when he went up to that tree that day. And of course, he didn't see it at all, and so he curses the fig tree. And what's going on is he's saying to the people, Jerusalem, Israel doesn't get it. They don't understand who I am. They don't understand worship in itself. They have locked the the Gentiles. They prevented the Gentiles from coming in and worshiping God because I've already seen what they do in the temple courts. And for lack of better words, he is not happy with his own people and the way that they understand him and the way that they don't understand that he is for all. And they have a lack of faith. They have a struggle with faith. And what he's going to do is going to demonstrate what will happen to their capital city. The next slide. This is what uh, a fig tree looks like in full fruit. Uh, And this is the stuff that you eat. I, I, I wish that the cafe were open and that we were serving this today. I'm sure it's quite delicious. Probably doesn't taste like fig newtons if you've ever had one of those. But this would be a, a fig tree in full bloom. So what Jesus is trying to do is he's saying there's something wrong with the picture here. And this is an illustrated parable. He hasn't lost his temper at all. He isn't being a baby at all. He's showing them, you guys, you don't get it. You don't understand the nature of faith. The tree was in leaf, but it had no early crop of figs. And because of this, Jesus curses it, showing this is what's going to happen to Jerusalem. It's an acted parable. So the fig tree would not bear fruit. Uh, uh, Jerusalem is unbelieving of Jesus and who he is, and they are unreceptive to the Gentiles who want to worship the true God. They've put a block there. They're trading money there. They're charging exorbitant rates for currency exchange just to buy the sacrifices needed at the temple. And Jesus tips over their tables, and he says, you've made this place a den of robbers, and it's supposed to be a house of worship. The judgment on the tree is predictive of something that will happen to the city of Jerusalem. Well, guess what? 40 years later, the history books tell us that the Romans went into Jerusalem and sacked and burned it and destroyed it and took everything out of the temple. It would never be rebuilt even to this day. You can visit Rome and you can look at the Arch of Titus that was erected there uh, in commemoration of this conquest of the city of Jerusalem. And you see the Romans carrying the things out of the temple as depicted on that arch. You can look at it today. It's an illustration of what Jesus meant about faith. And Luke chapter 13, again, talking about a fig tree there, a little story Jesus told. And there was a fig tree there that didn't bear fruit for three years. And the conclusion from Jesus, cut it down because it's not bearing any fruit. It's a powerful, powerful acted parable. Now you say, well, what in the world does this have to do with faith? You've taken us on a tangent. Well, back to the fig tree. Peter, uh, the, the morning after, so to speak, discovers that it's withered to its roots now. So the morning before, Jesus curses it. But the morning after, after he overturns the tables, says, wow, look at this fig tree. The thing is dead. It's gone right down to its roots. There's no more root to it even. Something supernatural has apparently gone on. And Peter's kind of shocked. And he says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered right down to its roots. And this is where Jesus is going to take the opportunity to teach Peter and the disciples about the nature of true faith. And this is where the passage comes in. It is a passage that is so confusing to us because it seems to teach things 
to us that we, we look at, we say, wow, is that what it's really saying? And there's so much confusion about it. So let me tell you about three ways that we can confuse this passage. Uh, number one, faith is not about saying it. So there's an idea out there that, well, you know, if you say it in faith, then you can get it. Because after all, Jesus said, uh, if he says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and what he says will come to pass if he believes. And so we say to ourselves, great, I say that I will win the Powerball lottery. And I'm going to drive over the border this afternoon to Pastor Brent's hometown there in Vermont to buy myself a lottery ticket because I said it and I believed it and so I'm going to get it. How many of you think I'll win the Powerball if I do that today? And someone said, yeah, because you don't say it. That's why you don't get it. Well, it isn't about saying. I hope you, I hope you, you get that. Because if it was about saying, then guess what? People who do, can't speak, who are mute, well, I guess they wouldn't have any faith then. Well, before I was a Christian, when I started coming to this church, I started coming when I was 18 years old. It took me two years to finally step across the line and become a Christian. I was into, to some measure, the occult. Well, that type of stuff where you say it and you get it, this is nested in the occult. So this is not at all what Jesus is talking about. Faith is not about saying it. Faith is not also about whatever. The passage says, uh, whatever he asks. So people think, well, I can ask for whatever. So anything I want. Well, I want to win the Powerball. I want a nice car. I want a nice house. I want lots of money. I want to live till I'm 120 years old. I mean, that's whatever. The passage says whatever as long as I ask for whatever. Well, your whatever is conditional on something else. The whatever is determined not so much by you, but by the one who you're praying to. It's not your whatever, it's God's whatever. So you can't just say, well, it's, it's only what I want. No, there's a condition there. It has to do with what God wants, not so much what you want. And faith, finally, is not the force. Okay, I've seen Star Wars, the new one, a couple of times. Okay, but this is not the nature of faith that's, that's taught in the passage. Uh, Luke, if you believe what you ask for, you will receive it by faith. Use the force of faith, Luke. This is not, this is not what it's talking about. Look, I love Star Wars, okay, but that's Zen Buddhism. That's not Christianity. All right, so this overemphasis, well, it's all about what I believe. So, oh, I believe. Yes, Luke, you believe now. No, it isn't that. You didn't wake up and so, say, oh, now I feel like I believe today. But tomorrow, no, I don't feel it anymore. It, this is not what the passage is teaching. These are all wrong emphases on the wrong part of the passage. The passage is teaching about the power of faith. But what is it? What does it look like? How does it work? And what is fig tree faith that Jesus is talking about? Simply put, you want a basic definition for what faith is according to Jesus. Faith is a response to God's revealed will. To put it simple, you are responding to the revealed will of God. You believe that what he told you is true, and so you respond. This is faith. Verse 22, have faith in God. Not have faith in faith, or have faith in yourself, or have faith in whatever, but have faith in God. Well, what does God think on the matter that you're praying about? What are his views about it? What is he saying? Have faith in God, and then you respond to his revealed will, verses 24 to 26, whatever you ask in prayer. Well, who are you praying to, yourself or God? Faith is a response to his revealed will. And God reveals his will, really, if you, if you really want to get simple, the basic way that God reveals his will is through his word, is through the Bible. You want to know what God wants for your life, listen closely to me, Read the Bible. I'll say it again. Read the Bible. Well, I don't understand it. Well, read it again. 
Well, I still don't understand it. Well, come to a church that teaches it and explains it so that you do understand it because God is speaking his will to you through the book that he wrote. This is what he wants from your life. He will say it to you very, very clearly if you pick up what he wrote to you. And then God will dovetail his will to you through other things like experiences or messages you may hear from, from a, a pastor or whatever or friends. or He will dovetail what he's already declared to you in his word. And the problem about this is then when we move to pray, we haven't yet lined up our lives to what God has already declared in his word. I've spent a quarter of a century in this church and uh, many, many years very active as a volunteer. And then, as I often say to people, when you hang around long enough, they give you a job. And so that's what happened to me. And I've been here for 15 years afterward. Uh, and you talk to a lot of people and you meet a lot of people. And it's amazing how we resist the basic idea. Listen, line your life up with the word of God and then begin to pray. I've seen it in relationships where people, they are struggling in different areas of their relationship. Say, well, and you ask a couple of questions say, and you realize, hello, your relationship itself, the things that you are doing are outside of the will of God. Before you pray, fix it and line your life up with the will of God and then begin to pray. And this we don't necessarily like. But when you don't line up your life with his will and then you go to pray about something, guess what answer you're likely going to get? No. And we don't like that. Well, why is he giving us a no? Well, go back and fix your life. I already told you what you need to fix and then you can start praying about it. This is where it starts to get quiet. And when you pray, the whatever to ask in prayer is then to pray God's will. He's declared it to you, and you begin to pray what he's already revealed to you. And that, you will get what you're asking for. This is the nature of faith. And this is where you test your walk with God, whether or not you're growing in terms of what a disciple is, is, hey, to what extent am I willing to line my life up with what God says as I pray? The man says, I, I want a job. And so, what are you doing? Well, I'm praying. Are you going to look? No, I'm just praying. Well, you keep on praying. We'll see how that works for you. you if you really believe that God's going to give it to you, perhaps you should go out and look. Woman says, I want to get married. Great. What are you doing about that? Well, I'm praying. You're praying and You're not looking for any... No, God's just going to drop it in my lap. Really? So the man's going to knock on the door and say, Oh, I've heard from God. He told me to come to this house. And he gave me a vision of you praying with your beautiful hair. And you're the woman of my dreams. And let's get married. Folks, do you think that that's real? That's not real. Okay, the nature of faith is you say, God, I'm lining my life up with your will with your word, and I'm beginning to pray as such. And this is the nature of discipleship. And finally, faith involves risk, and faith involves action. Verses 24 to 26, talking about forgiveness. That implies action, doesn't it? Uh, if, you, if you have ought against somebody, and then you come to God in prayer, it's quite possible that God may say to you, stop praying. Go and deal with the forgiveness issue before you come and pray. Go and deal with that issue first because you're blocking what I want to do in your life because you're not forgiving somebody. This implies action. And when you say, well, I believe something, again, it isn't isn't Yoda faith. Oh, today I believe. Yes, Luke, you do. It isn't that. Okay, it's today I believe and I'm showing I believe by what I do. I behave according to what I believe. And this is where it gets very difficult. You heard an announcement today about my future. And I need to tell you that this is the most difficult decision uh, that my wife and I have ever made in our ministry. Uh, You all are our family. This has been our home for 25 years 
really, when I say that, you are our family. And uh, your, your DNA is in our hearts. It will always be in our hearts. We've experienced so much of life here with you all uh, and, and journeyed through life with so many people here. And so it's a very, very difficult moment. But you know something? It's God's revealed will. This is the problem with it. And I need to say it very, very clearly because I know what goes on in the minds of people when they hear announcements in church on Sunday mornings. They think to themselves, oh, well, there's something underneath the surface here. He's being pushed out. There's a political game afoot and all of this other nonsense. Can I tell you something? This is my decision. No one's asking me to do it except God. And it's the most difficult decision that I've made in my ministry. But it's God's will. And this is the hard part about it. And uh, I've seen four, four senior pastors, three interim senior pastors, probably 45 staff come and go uh, over 25 years. And now it's my turn. Uh, and this is, this is God's will. It's God's uh, revealed will. And uh, I want to thank publicly our pastor, Patty, a uh, brand new pastor in this church, 100 years old, first woman. And uh, that's guts, folks. And this is a pastor with great courage and great guts, uh, if you'll let me say that on a Sunday morning. And I want to thank the leadership team as well for their support of financial resources and people. You can't plant a church without that type of support. It's amazing. To show that type of trust in me is amazing. And so I want to thank them publicly. It's God's revealed will, you see. It was in this church that I learned over many, many years and many, many pastors, go and make disciples of all nations. It's not stay and wait for people to come and disciple themselves. Go and make disciples. That means you have to do something. It was in this church that I learned you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all over the world. Not somebody else. You will. So what are you doing to fulfill that call is the question that God began to birth in our hearts over the last number of months. I can remember when Pastor Jonathan came to me and told me of the news that he was leaving. And I remember God began to stir something in my heart. It always happens when a pastor leaves, but this one was a little bit different. And I remember meeting uh, with our, our district office and talking to them there. And saying, you know what, my wife and I are open to anything. We're even open to planting. Well, you should have seen the look on the superintendent's face. He didn't know, he didn't know what hit him. I mean, he, that's the last thing he probably wanted to hear at the time. <laughs> and so I told him that. And, and God began to do things, and he began to, to burn something into my heart. We live and have lived on the edge of the community of Brassard, just 15 minutes over the St. Lawrence River uh, for the last 13 years. And folks, you get to know people, and you get to talk to people, and you begin to think about what they think about, and how they live their lives. And you begin to get a burden for people, and you begin to see that there are people, and they think that living without God is normal, because they have no church that tells them any different. 85,000 people who live there, 10,000 of them speak English as their first language, it's double the provincial average. On top of that, you've got 5,000 Chinese people there who speak a little bit of English. And west of the Champlain Bridge, you have not one single English evangelical witness, not one. And you drive the streets and you look at the people and you talk to the people. And for them, living without God is normal. They don't even, many of them don't even know the name of Jesus and it's the 21st century. This province is known as the, as the biggest mission field in the Western world because evangelical people who, such as you and me who profess faith, we represent less than 1% of the population of Quebec. Staggering. What will you do to reach lost people for Christ? This is the thing that God began to burn in my heart. And the more people that I began to talk to and the more that I watched, I said, what's going on here? This is not pleasant, God. You are doing something and I don't really like it. Is there another way out of this? Is there another option? 
And I began to start to push doors open. And I talked to the, talked to the district. And the district said, well, we have a process in place right now. And, uh, you know, if you think you want to plant a church, we will do a preliminary assessment with you. You will sit down with a fellow who's trained in a particular system. And he will sit down with you and talk with you for a couple of hours. And we'll see what comes up. So I said, sure, let's do it. So I sat down with this fellow for two, three hours in a coffee shop, and he quizzed me with questions, analyzed your personality, your gifting, your past, all this stuff. At the conclusion of the interview, he said, you will not make it. You will not be able to successfully plant a church. I want to spare you the heartache now. And I could have said, you know what, God, that's it. I don't need any more. And God said to me, no, you don't. You keep knocking on that door until I close it in your face. But you keep knocking on that door. All that is is a bar for you to jump over. Don't you tell me that you can't reach lost people for Christ. You keep pushing on that door. And so I began to push more. I said, okay, God. And I talked to Pastor Bill about a conference that was meeting here in the month of October as I feverishly tried to finish this facility in time called Momentum, National Church Planning Conference. People from all over Canada, 600 people showed up. And I said, Pastor Bill, I'd like to go to this conference. And he didn't even take a breath. And he said, go. And I came to the conference, and I'll never forget sitting right in that chair. And there was a speaker, a strange fellow by the name of Brian Bolt. No relation to Usain Bolt, okay? Those of you who are from Jamaica. No relation. And he told the story about how he was a drug addict and a drug dealer And how he was shot in the head in a bar and was dying in an ambulance, bleeding out of his brain. And how he was led to Christ in the back of an ambulance. And how God spoke to him about something bigger than himself, that there would be churches planted all over the place. And it's a vision with the, the network that he formed to plant churches and to reach the one who is lost. Uh, 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 unlikely people in overlooked places doing extraordinary things. This is the vision. And I began to listen to him tell his story. And he talked about story after story of transformed lives. And talked about a man, another person with huge drug problems and drug overdose and lying on the floor dead and brought back to life and revived and became a a follower of Christ and whose life was radically transformed and, and got off of drugs and got discipled and began to grow as a Christian. And then he went to this this pastor, Brian Bolt, and he said, I want to marry this girl. And he told the story of how he 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 did the wedding and he watched and he marveled as he saw this man all dressed up in his tuxedo, standing there at the altar with his arms folded, all cleaned up, waiting for his bride to come down the aisle. And he said, you know what the gospel does. The gospel brings dignity to people's lives. This is what the gospel does. And there are millions of people and their dignity is in their materialism and their dignities in their religion and their, their dignities in their intellectualism, and they have none if they really knew the truth. And this, as he was speaking these words, I began to weep hot tears sitting there with all these pastors, wiping them away. I didn't even want any of them to see my face. And I'm like, oh, God, what have I got myself into? Now I knew, oh, no, of all the things, planting a church, oh, no. But it's not my will, you see. It's the will of God as revealed in his word. And more and more began to happen. And more pieces of the puzzle got put together. I went to see the the leadership of this church. And Pastor Patty and the leadership team said, and I thought to myself, there's no way they're going to budge on this. There's no way they're not even going to be interested in this. And guess what? They said, we're interested. Go, Go and find one of these church network people. We don't know anything about planting churches. But you go and find one of them and you come back to us and come back to us with the thing and the assessments or whatever you have to do and a timeline and a proposal and come back to us. So uh, I got really excited and I did that. And then I went to see the district and I said, hey, you know, uh, 
there's a network that I found that I'd really like to work with. It's called City Reach Network. And the district guys, they start smiling and they said, yeah, we know because we want to work with them too. These are the people who we want to work with as we plant churches because they're not satisfied with the status quo. Did you know that two-thirds of the churches here in Canada are in, in plateaued or in decline? Did you know that 80% of the churches in the United States, 80, are plateaued or in decline? And the leaders are not satisfied with this. There needs to be new souls brought into the kingdom. There needs to be new works that are planted. There needs to be a revitalization of what's going on. There needs to be something Pentecostal that goes on here as we march toward the year 2020. In a church, you usually get an amen for that. Talking about people who are lost who come to Christ. And they said, when they talk about City Reach, they said, you know, saklik. It's clicking. When we talk to them, ça click. So I went back to the leadership team and I told them, I, it, it's moving. Things are starting to move. And I start talking to the City Reach guys and start doing their assessments. And they get like 10, 12 assessments. They assess you to death. They stick little pins in your heart almost. They figure out who you are, your gifts, your background, all this stuff. And guess what? I did the first one and I passed. They told me, oh, maybe you have some potential. And I began to move forward and things began to move forward and everything is, is starting to flow and there's starting to be action. I stood in a, in a conference, uh, I think a week, week and a half ago, of church planners from all across the United States and another one from Canada just like me. And it was like a boot camp for planters that we had to go to, surprise, surprise. And you sit there and you learn about what it takes to plant a church, big risks, huge risks. It's like, what? I'm going to have to go back to work. Like, I may have to go back into the marketplace and work. I haven't been in the marketplace for 15 years. They're going to look at my resume and you say, you're a pastor? You're a pastor for the last 15 years? What's that? What do you do? It's a big risk. It's like, Lord, what if I fail? What if that first assessment was right and I fail? And I can hear the voice of God saying, you're not going to fail. How can a person fail when they want to reach lost people for me? How can you fail doing that? And I stood there in this conference, and the district superintendent of the state of Florida, whose parents planted 13 churches, got up and told a story about his mother who just passed away due to Alzheimer's. And he said in the latter stages of her Alzheimer's, she was addressing her son as if they were a a non-Christian person and inviting them to her new church plant. Son, you need to come to our new church that we planted. You need to get saved. And he began to tell the story. And he said to all of the planters there, I wrote it down. He said, you have heard the voice of the Lord very clearly. Make no mistake about it. You have heard his voice. Whatever the risks, whatever action needs to be taken... You have heard the voice of the Lord clearly. For you who sit in the audience today, what is God saying to you? It may not be to plant a church, but God is screaming to you today. You know his voice. Don't tell me that he doesn't speak. Some people say, well, I never heard the voice of God. No, God is screaming to you what his will is. He's revealed it to you in his word. He's telling you over and over again what what his will is. What are you going to do about it? Maybe you need to step across the line of faith and you need to say, Jesus, I surrender to you my life. Enough of this business of running. I surrender my life to you. I stood around that table at that conference and the people who were coaching me were both convicted felons, hardcore heroin addicts, husband and wife, Bonnie and Clyde, who got saved and planted a church last year and there's 350 people in it. It's overflowing. They don't even know what to do. They're convicted felons. It's the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to change people's lives. How can you fail doing that? Maybe you need to come and cross the line of faith. Maybe you need to say, Jesus, I surrender to you once and for all. Enough running. Maybe there are those of you, and every time we have a baptismal service, you run for the hills. Jesus has revealed his word to you. You need to be baptized in water. Maybe you need to get involved in the life of this church and use your gift and talents and use them for the extension of what's going on in this community, this inside-out church. Maybe you need to be out in your community. Maybe you need to do something with non-Christian people. Maybe you don't have any friends who are not Christians. Well, how will they come to Christ if not by you? 
Whatever it is today, you have heard the voice of the Lord very clearly. Faith implies risk and action. What will you do about it? Maybe you want to join with me. And maybe we will fail. I doubt it. We're reaching lost souls for Jesus. And you want to join with me and be part of the ten families that say, you know what? We will look like fools for Christ if we want to. But we will take the risk to reach lost people for Jesus. If that's you, there's a clipboard right at the center at the info desk. You pick up your parking ticket and sign that little clipboard. I'll be in touch with you and we'll begin to talk. And we'll have a meeting in two weeks and talk about vision and what this church is going to look like the third week of September 2016. Whatever it is, you have heard the voice of the Lord clearly today. What will you do about it? Please stand with me. I'd like the worship team to come as we close in prayer and the... Uh, elders and the uh, lead team members and those who are appointed to pray, if you would come and assemble yourselves at the front here, I'm going to just have a word of prayer with all of you and then give you a chance to respond. I believe there are some of you and you say, you know, just the act of coming forward and talking with someone helps me. It helps me move forward. It helps me process something. It helps me keep going in my walk with God. There's something on my heart. There's something stirring inside that God is talking to me about and I need to kind of solidify that with somebody. Come and find a place and a person that you can pray with before you leave today. Whatever the issue is, you have heard the voice of the Lord clearly. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have done in speaking to us. We thank you for a church a hundred years old. God, that continues to be on the edge of reaching lost people for Christ, that continues to take risks, continues to be a light in this community. God, I pray for people today who need to come to Jesus. They been fighting for so long and you're speaking to them at this moment. I pray for the uninvolved who you want to speak to, to be involved. Those who need to be involved in their community outside of the walls of this place. God, I pray you would challenge people that we would get a heart for the lost, that we would weep for lost people again. God, that you would do something Pentecostal through the lives of people in this church, that you would baptize people in the Holy Spirit and send out people into the community to win the lost. Whatever it is, God, you are speaking to us. Open our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. The Lord bless you. The front is open for you for prayer. God bless you. Have a great, great week.